Hello, thank you for tuning in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. I want God's best for my life. I want his best. And if I get it, I am blessed. If you prefer to do life with just yourself in the driver's seat, you may well experience times of frustration, loss of perspective and purpose, and even feel like you're pushing it uphill with a blindfold on. When you trust Jesus with your life, the results are remarkably different. God's about to take a diamond to your heart. Are you ready? We're in Jeremiah, and Dr. Corbett has five wonderful reasons to trust God. We're now reading Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 1, with this question in mind, how hard must their hearts have been? See if you can see why I asked the question. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 1. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, with a point of diamond. It is engraved on the tablet of their heart, and on the horns of their altars. I mean, when do you need to use a diamond-tipped drill? When you're dealing with something as hard as granite. I understand that a diamond-tipped drill is about the only thing that will pierce granite. And granite is one of the hardest substances known to man. There's only a few things harder than granite, and one of them is diamond. And here the prophet says, if I'm, to engrave some, if I'm to engrave this word that I'm trying to get across to you, I would need a diamond-tipped stylus to write on your hearts. How hard is that? You know, I think of when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And, and when, when there's Lazarus coming out of the tomb after four days dead. And here's the scribes and Pharisees who now have indisputable evidence that Jesus really is God in the flesh. What was their response? How can we kill Lazarus and get rid of the evidence? How hard was their hearts? Here's the question. How hard's your heart? What does God have to do to get through to you? What does God have to do? I want my heart soft. There is, a, of course, the, the problem of having a soft heart. You get hurt easy. That's okay. I think it's better to be that way than to have a hard heart that only a diamond-tipped stylus can write on. The next point I want to make as we look at verse 2 is this. Parents should always remember that their children are watching. Because we read in the next verse... This statement. While their children remember their altars and their ashram beside every green tree and on the high hills. This is an expression where the the ashram was a, a, a pole where usually a man would take a prostitute up there and would commit uh, sexual immorality with the prostitute. And that act of sexual immorality in front of the ashram pole was supposed to be symbolic of fertility and, and you do it on a high hill so that it overlooks your crops and your farm and that was supposed to bring fertility as you practiced this sexual immorality act with this prostitute who was supposedly a you know, priestess of the ashram. And here's these people putting their confidence and their trust in things that they've done, their own efforts. They go up, they sacrifice sheep and they present vegetables to these poles, these phallic symbols on the high hills and they practice sexual immorality with these temple prostitutes and they think that is going to 
bring them the blessing thereafter. And the prophet has got something to say about that. Let's read it in verse 3. On the mountains, in the open country, your wealth and all your treasures, I will give for spoil as the price of your high places. So this is what we're talking about. High places is what they're doing up there, the immorality they're committing, for sin throughout all your territory. So here's... Here's the thing. Why were they doing that? Because they wanted their crops blessed. They wanted their farms blessed. They wanted their children healthy. They wanted, they wanted more income. They wanted a more comfortable lifestyle. They wanted some sense of spiritual power about their lives. And so they're practicing all this stuff up there. But what is really going on? Well, this is what's going on. When you do life without God, the, you miss the very things you're actually after. The very thing you think you're pursuing is actually in the completely the wrong direction if you're not walking after God. I have found that as I have put God first, the promise that Jesus gave, and it is a promise. Matthew 6.33 Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things that you worry about will be taken care of. You may be after a girlfriend. You may have some kind of need like that and you think, well, I know, I know how to get that. I'll go to the nightclub and I'll undo a button. I know, I know how this game's played. Don't do it. Matthew 6.33, trust God. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all the things that you worry about will be taken care of. And the people weren't. They were doing these things in the pursuit of, of happiness and wealth and comfort. And Jeremiah says, you're going to get misery, discomfort and severe health complaints. We're reading in verse 4 now. Jeremiah 17 verse 4. You shall loosen your hand from your heritage that I gave to you and I will make you serve your enemies in a land that that you do not know. For in my anger a fire is kindled that shall burn forever. Does God ever get angry? Yeah, he does. God is not kind of this vicious concept of an angry, fuming God that just wants to injure people. Not at all. But let's not fall for the lie that this God doesn't care about sin. Richard Dawkins says, I cannot believe there is a God who cares what we do with our genitals. And that's a, that might sound cute to say it that way. But let's put it this way. I find it very easy to believe that God cares about every part of me. And he cares very much about what I do. Whether it be emotionally, intellectually, materially. Or sexually. God really cares. So the very thing they were after, security in their land, was going to be taken from them. Now we're going to read an expression. I want to explain it to you because the next expression is the pronouncement of a curse. Now you may have seen some Disney movies uh, where you'll see a witch. and But, but you see they, they pronounce curses with wands and things like this. And good night. There actually are things called curses. There are real curses and this is essentially what a curse is it's to experience the opposite of god's blessing and let's let's read this next verse in verse five it says this thus says the lord 
Notice this word. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Cursed is that man. So here's my advice. Do not do anything that invites the curse of God on your life. We should just close in prayer right there and just take that home as the thought for the week. Don't do anything that invokes the curse of God. So to be blessed, what is it? To be blessed is to experience God's best for your life. And I'm going to say right now, I'm preaching to me because this is what I want. I want God's best for my life. I want his best. And if I get it, I am blessed. I am blessed. And I know that sometimes what I think is best for my life isn't necessarily what God thinks is best for my life. So we're reading in verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Two key words there, blessed and trust. We'll come to those in a moment. Whose trust is the Lord. Whose trust is the Lord. Now Jeremiah is saying this to a people that were saying to Jeremiah, the Babylonians that you're telling us will come and invade our land. It'll never happen. And if it does, no problem. We'll just duck down to Egypt. They'll come to our rescue and we'll be okay. Jeremiah, you are an absolute nutter. You do not know what you're talking about. And Jeremiah is saying, you put your trust in the Egyptians, you'll be cursed. If you trust what I'm saying to you, you will be blessed. Now, you've got to look at the picture here. You've got an Egyptian army, the then world power. You've got one bloke, Jeremiah, saying, they're of no help. I'm telling you, trust God. Who are you going to call? Because this one looks right. This one doesn't look right at all. And that's often how it feels to trust God. It doesn't look right. So, to be blessed is to have God's best for your life. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Wow. So, I want you to see now that to be blessed by God is to be, notice these words, planted. You'll be planted. You'll be fed. You'll be watered by God. Here's five good reasons to trust God. And I'm going to use this word blessed because blessed is the man who trusts. So blessed is to trust. And here it is. Number one, the, to be blessed is to be secure. Secure. Now notice, what, notice that the person who's secure lives their, lives, lives their life with a sense of peace. A sense of, it'll be okay. I'm secure. I'm planted. One of the really good pictures about being planted is the Bible says in Psalm 84 that God plants us in a community of other believers. You know, the American redwood tree has more going on under the ground than it does up here, and they are huge trees. You heard about the American redwood tree where they, their roots go down, but then they, go, then they kind of go like that under the... So you've got this fabric, this mesh of roots that goes for kilometres. You try and knock one of those things over, it won't budge. Why? Because the bloke beside it is, is keeping him up. 
That's a wonderful picture of being planted. You're secure. So to be blessed is to be secure. And if you're secure, you've got a sense of peace. You know, when things go wrong in my life, I'm secure in the knowledge of the promise of Romans 8.38. I think I recite Romans 8.28 to myself more than any other verse in the Bible. Now that might cause you to wonder, gee, a lot of things go wrong in his life. (laughs) I'm not so sure you've been good for my life because ever since I've known you, I've known a... Hit by car, lost my job. Anyway, that's... But to be secure in God, storms may come. Romans 8.28 For I know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Man, I live that. I live that. I needed that verse about a month ago. And I know Kim alluded to this um, in her message when she spoke a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago. I had one of the most horrible things happen to me, and it was nearly two decades of effort gone in a nanosecond because of what someone did. And I almost went into meltdown, and it was so hard. And one of the most frustrating things about the timing of it was that I was preaching on the need to trust God in the midst of bad circumstances. And this was a Thursday. And here I am Thursday and my world has just caved in on me. Not because of anything I did, which made it doubly frustrating for me. And I I, I frantically shut off everything, cancelled things, just to work on trying to fix this and get get it back. And that night, still no joy, still nothing had happened. And and I, when I am troubled, I do not sleep well. (laughs) I, I, I feel worry going through my body. I feel it. I, I hear my heart pounding in my head. I feel anxiety. I feel my muscles tensing. I feel... I, 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 I'm, I'm rehearsing in my mind over and over and over. That's how I handle setback. And because I'd just done this whole thing preparing for Sunday on how you handle setback, I figured I'd better start looking at my sermon notes with a different set of eyes... Because I needed it, not on a Sunday, I needed it on a Thursday night. Kim asked me just before we went to sleep, she said, how are you coping with it? I said, don't, 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 don't ask. And I was very intentional. I just did not want to think about it. I was putting it out of my head. I did not want to think about it. Why? Because I'd done everything I could do. One more second of worry was not going to change a thing. And I have, I have learned that you can control what you think. And so I made a conscious decision. I'm just not going to dwell on it. I'm not going to think about it. Instead, I was going to think about Romans 8.28. That somehow God was going to bring good out of it. And by 10 o'clock the next morning, it was as if Thursday had never happened. God came through. 
And I had one of these get on your knees, lift your hands to heaven and thank God. And if someone walked in at that moment, no one would have known why I was on my knees. And I'm not even going to tell you what happened and don't even ask. But I know what this is like to live it. When you are blessed, you notice it says he is like a tree planted. It sends out its roots and it's when the roots go down that the winds come. You would have heard about that experiment where they had the biosphere and they planted these trees and they wanted to see if they could actually do this on another planet. And so they created this biosphere, this great big glass dome and they planted trees and so on. After about three or four years, the trees all started falling over in the biosphere. And people say, I, I, I don't get it. The roots go down, but they're just falling over. And, and, and a horticulturalist came along, an arborist came along and said, you guys, you might be NASA scientists, but you know nothing about trees. Trees need wind. They need adversity. They need a threat in order for them to become strong. We're planted. We're like trees. You want to be strong, you have to have adversity. But in the midst of your adversity, God is able to make you strong. And their roots go down, it says. So you're able to withstand adversity and you're able to flourish in the midst of it. You'll see their leaves remain green in the midst of heat. When you trust God, you are secure, you are strong, even in the midst of adversity, even in the midst of setback. And thirdly, it says they are not anxious in the year of drought. Why? Because they've got reserves. That means that to be blessed is to be prepared, come what may. When you trust God, you are prepared for come what may. When you've resolved in the little things that you're going to trust God, that's why tithing is not so much about money, it's about your heart and what you're trusting in. You know, when I read of, or heard, I heard Rick Warren say that he started out tithing 10% and then he said, I've got a, I'm a leader, I've got to set an example. He committed to give 1% extra each year and now he tithes 91% and lives off the nine. I'd love to be able to do that, but you know what? I'm never going to get there if I don't get to 11. So, to be prepared to build reserves... To trust the Lord is to be prepared. To trust the Lord is to be blessed so that you are prepared for come what may. And fourthly, for it does not cease to bear fruit. To be blessed, fourthly, is to be fruitful. You want a good reason to trust the Lord? Because you'll be fruitful. You'll be fruitful. What's fruit good for? The tree doesn't eat its own fruit. Oh yeah, you're going to give me this bio thingamajiggy. Yeah, I know the apple falls to the ground, becomes compost, the worms eat it and the tree. I know that. But trees don't generally eat apples. It produces fruit for others. When you are blessed, you are not blessed for yourself. When God was to bless Abraham, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. You are blessed to be a blessing. When you are blessed, when you're trusting God, you are blessed to be fruitful. So being fruitful means that you can provide for the needs of others. I've heard some Christians say, I don't want a lot of money. I don't want to be rich. I'm not interested in acquiring or, or, or being an entrepreneur or developing anything like that. I just want enough for me and my four and no more. You selfish, small, narrow-minded, blessed servant of the Lord, you need to go the full hallelujah and begin to think, how can I provide not just for my four, 
but for more. Do you have a compassion sponsor child? I know most people in our church do. And thank God for you. Thank God for you. We have a little girl in Burkina Faso. And we pray for her most mealtimes. Intellectually disabled. Burkina Faso, third poorest nation on the face of the planet. And I don't want to live just for, I can't say me and my four and no more because it's me and my five. And the way some of my five eat, it's me and my seven. But it's... I'm not looking at anyone in particular, but anyway. So to be blessed is to be fruitful so that you bless others. And then finally, to be blessed, and here's the ultimate one, here's number five. You want to know five good reasons to trust God? That was number four, here's number five. Here's the fifth reason that's really the number one reason, and it's this, you'll be saved from sin. You'll be saved from sin. And if you don't get any of the other four blessings, being saved from sin is enough. We, we were in Melbourne, uh, for, uh, we, we left Melbourne in 1995. Prior to that, around 1990, I had this really weird guy who's been here uh, three times, uh, Mike Berry. He, he got off a plane, Tullamarine, he goes uh, straight into uh, uh, the, the Melbourne square thing there and he, he, he goes up to this young guy who was a lout blonde haired earrings, tats, the whole thing. He was a lout. He was about 16, 17 years of age. His name was Gary. He went up to Gary and uh, Mike Berry was invited to preach on Sunday. This is a Friday night. He goes up to this guy and he says, Gary, I've got a message from God for you. He's never met this guy in his life. Gary, I've got a message from God for you. When you were 14, you were involved in a Pentecostal youth camp You took a liking in a girl. That girl rejected you. You left that camp and said, I will never go back to church, never have anything to do with God again. Is that true? And this kid, Gary, in the middle of the Burke Street Mall, bursts into tears and says, yes, it is. He says to this young guy, Gary, I've been sent here from the United States to call you home, to call you back to Christ. And Gary gave his life to Christ in the... Burke Street Square thing in Melbourne. Saturday morning, I get a phone call from a very loud, abrupt American. Is this Andrew Corbett? Dude, don't have to yell. Yes. (laughs) My name's Mike Berry. (laughs) And I've got a young guy I want you to follow up. And his name is Gary Skirving. And I did. I followed him up for several months. And he grew wonderfully. And one night he uh, was on his way to a Bucks night at, uh, where we were starting off at McDonald's and then we were going over to a young guy's house. And Gary never turned up. As we were at McDonald's in uh, Hopper's Crossing, helicopters were circling overhead. We heard sirens and so on. Didn't think anything of it. Midnight that night I got on my answering machine uh, before I could get to the phone, was one of the young girls in the youth group screaming in tears, Pastor Andrew, come quickly, Gary's being killed. And he was killed in a drug-related killing where somebody from that world had taken him out. 17 years of age. Now that might be a dramatic end to a life. But I tell you what, it jolted me. And it jolted a whole youth group to realize 
You may be 16 or 17 years of age. You may be 26, 27 years of age. You may think you've got your whole life ahead of you. You don't know that. You don't know that. And the question that will be asked of you when you stand before God, as we all will, will be this. What will you trust in? And I finish with this thought. You can only be blessed if you trust Jesus with your life. And here's my question to you. Will you trust Jesus right now as your saviour? I'm not asking you to be religious. I'm not even asking you to commit yourself to this church. I'm not asking you to join anything. All I'm doing is asking where is your heart and who does it belong to? Let's pray. Father, I want you to have all of my heart. Oh God, I don't want my heart so hard that you need an iron stylus or a diamond-tipped pen to write on it. I don't want the hurts that come from having a soft heart to cause me to recoil. But Lord, I want to be someone who is blessed. Someone who is planted in the house, I'm, I'm secure. Someone whose roots go down deep, I'm strong. Someone who's able to withstand drought, I'm prepared. Someone who's able to have green leaves and to bear fruit, to be fruitful. I I want that for my life. And Lord, mostly, I want to know that I've asked you to forgive me of my sin and to come into my heart and to cleanse me and to give me a brand new start. Lord, I thank you that I don't have to do anything in order to trust you. All I have to do is just take your hand. Christianity is not spelt D-O. But your hand is already stretched out, reaching. Christianity is spelt D-O-N-E. Will you take his hand? Will you accept him? Will you receive Jesus Christ as your saviour? Will you, child of God, servant of God, Christian follower of Christ, Live your life trusting Him. Father, I pray that for those listening to me right now who are at that point of decision, that, Lord, you would work in their heart to surrender their heart in trust to you. If that's you, you're here today and you know that there's a prayer that you need to pray and it's a prayer that sounds like, Jesus, I want to be a Christian. From this day on, Lord, I want to put my trust in you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. You pray that prayer. I want to help you. I want to spend time with you. I want to talk with you. I want to pray more with you. Would you please let me know so I can? Now, Father, I pray for everyone here to be blessed. Five reasons to trust God. Are you ready to give it a go? Are you ready to put God in the driver's seat of your life? More from Dr. Corbett in the Jeremiah series next week. For a copy of tonight's program, you can contact us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. Podcasts and other Finding Truth Matters resources are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org. 
Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to being able to join you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.